Friends, Visitor Wallace, on behalf of our church family, thank you so much. I am the interim pastor here, Mike Sherritt. We are doing a series in the Apostle Peter's first epistle. We leapfrogged over chapter 4 into 5. We're spending uh, three sermons on the first few verses of 1 Peter 5. Don't mute our text for us. And children, you are dismissed uh, with Melanie through those doors over there. So our text is 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll read 1 through 5 and focus on 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray for a moment. Give us grace, Lord Jesus, by your spirit that with humble hearts we might receive your word and by it be transformed to see, to know, to love, to relish our precious shepherd, you, Lord Jesus Christ, in your name we pray, amen. Have you wondered what kind of care can I expect from God? How can you be sure God is interested really in your welfare? The images by which God reveals himself to us help to answer that question. There are many different images given in the Bible. The one front and center in our text is obviously God as shepherd. God wants you to know that as a shepherd cares for his flock, he is equally committed to your care. People in biblical times would readily relate to the image. They saw sheep and their shepherds everywhere. So, you hear the image? God says, I'm your shepherd. I am the one with authority and power to protect you, to provide for you, to lead. God leads his flock as a shepherd leads his flock of sheep. So it's a very reassuring image. But exactly how does God shepherd you? What can you expect? Well, the Bible tells us that God speaks to you, you hear the shepherd's voice in his word. He shepherds you in his word. I trust that you have a relationship with the word of God by which you sense the shepherding care of your Father in heaven. God shepherds you as you pray, you speak with him. God will shepherd you through the counsel of others. There's no doubt in my mind God shepherds Janice and me through his providential 
ordaining of the circumstances of our lives. And God shepherds his people through the elders of the church. They are, Peter is telling us here, the shepherds under Jesus, the chief shepherd, through which Jesus Christ cares for his flock, you, the church. What Peter says is very straightforward in verses 1 through 4. He tells them what to do, he tells them how to do it, and he tells them why to do it. That's what I'm going to look at this morning. But first, very quickly, you may be wondering, if this is a text written principally to the elders, why should you care about it? Does this really have anything to do with you? Let me see if I can invite you into the relevance of this text for you. First of all, this text is telling you what to look for in your elders. Soon you're going to have an opportunity to uh, vote on the two elders who have been in training for the last few months with me. You're going to nominate uh, elders in the nomination cycle, and you're going to be voting on a new pastor. So you should feel free to grab members of the search committee and say, I just studied this text. You need to get a guy who does this, right? Secondly, Peter tells the elders to be an example to the flock. You're to imitate something about them. The elders are to live in such a way as to be exhibit A of the Christian life. What does that tell you about you? <laughs> you need to live this way. We're going to look at the motives of the shepherd. You need to look at your own motives. <laughs> you need to look at the way you do things according to the pattern, the example of those Jesus has called to shepherd his precious flock. So I think the text is relevant to all of us. How do you treat others? How do you use authority? How do you look at your own motives? All of that's in the text, and it applies to every single one of us. So first of all, we're going to look at what does he tell them to do, how does he tell them to do it, and why does he tell them to shepherd this way? Okay? Number one, what does he tell them to do? Verse two, shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. So there are two primary functions of the elders of your church. Shepherding, spiritual care, and ruling, oversight. Inasmuch as Peter addresses the elders and here tells them to exercise oversight, you see the two interchangeably words used in the Greek language for this office. Praise buteros translates elder. It simply refers to the person's chronological qualification. As a rule, they're older. To exercise oversight comes from the Greek word episkopos. It's a wonderful word, skopos. To look at epi intent is a prefix that intensifies the word that it precedes. It means to look at closely, to examine closely. So these two words are used interchangeably in the Bible for the same office, the elder. And incidentally, the word pastor comes from the word shepherd. Pastors are fundamentally shepherds. So are your elders. We saw last week how Peter himself received his instructions to do this from Jesus personally after the resurrection on that beach along the Sea of Galilee where Jesus told Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So you elect elders, you flock, have the privilege and the responsibility of electing men in whom you see a shepherding heart and gifts for ruling. It is not a popularity contest. 
It isn't a beauty contest. You don't nominate men who happen to be successful in the world. That has nothing to do with their qualifications. It's about their call to shepherd and to rule. In some churches, it's like, hey, Joe, you've been here for 20 years. It's about time you served. What a lousy reason to become an elder. Right? So, elders tend the flock by leading, feeding, and protecting, just like a shepherd. They lead the flock. Notice Peter hasn't gotten into philosophy ministry, vision, policy, the spiritual function of the church. The sheep are wondering, what is our calling as we are set on, on this hillside? Those are all really important things. You should encourage your elders to think about those things. What does Peter say? He stresses by being an example. Verse 4, be examples to the flock. And in the context, it's an example of what specifically? Humble servanthood. I'll talk more about that in next week's sermon. Above all, your leaders should be examples, according to God's word, in faith and practice, and not least, humble servanthood. And therefore, by extension, faithful Christian living giving, seeking the Lord, praying, etc. So they lead the flock, they feed the flock. This is why earlier in the, in the service was read uh, qualifications from elders and, and, and deacons a little bit later in the text in 1 Peter 3. They are to be apt to teach. Why? Because the sheep need the food of the word of God and elders need to teach it, to share it, to instruct with it to make it clear, to nourish the souls of the sheep with the word of God. Uh, in, in Paul's epistle to Titus, he lays out the qualifications for elders, and notice how strongly it's stated there, Titus 1.7, for an overseer, episcopas, sometimes translated bishops in your Bible, the overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So the shepherd himself holds firm to the word of God. Why? so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to refute those who contradict. Teaching the truth by saying it and by via negativa, saying that's wrong, that's false. I want to give the sheep good food, healthy food, not rotten food. I don't want to starve them. Back before COVID, you might have noticed when you arrived in the worship space, the people leading worship would stand over here and pray together. And quite often, Andy Cavanaugh, one of your ruling elders, would pray this for the preacher, Lord, make them a workman who is not un 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 unashamed, handling faithfully the word of truth. That's a phrase that comes right out of uh, uh, first, first, Second Timothy chapter 2. 
Why does Andy, your elder, pray that the preacher handles accurately the word of truth? So you're fed and nourished on the word of God. The shepherds then lead the flock, they feed the flock, and they protect the flock. Because sheep are constantly in danger. You're in danger from without and from within. We'll look in a couple weeks how Satan prowls about like a lion lying to you, accusing you, deceiving you, trying to destroy you. Did you hear Jamie pray about that aspect of your protection earlier in the service? These things come together in a, in a speech recorded for us in Acts 20. Paul was on his way on one of his missionary journeys back to Jerusalem. He wanted to meet with the elders of the church of Ephesus. I've got to get another word in. Actually, the last time they'll ever see him, and they, they knelt down on the beach and wept because they knew they'd never see this man in this life again. Paul gives a compelling amount of instruction to them, among which he says, Acts 20, 27. It, it's in the bulletin if, if you've got one. And he's reminding them of his ministry there. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now he moves to looking forward. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopas, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, the price of the flock, the blood of Christ, how precious they are. It's God's flock. I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So within the church and from without, the sheep are going to get rotten, poisonous, contaminated food that will harm them. Paul's warning them about this. And he says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and true food, the word of his grace. Here's the food, flock. Here's the food. It's in the word of God, the word of his grace. What does it do? It's able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. If you've ever pigged out on junk food and then you just felt, later that's a picture of starving your soul of the word of God or churches where people aren't taught the word of God they're uh, spiritually that's the source of vitality the word which is able to build you up I've also got in the text the prior verses to this part of Paul's uh, speech and it's very instructive to how he shepherded among them. It says in Acts 20, beginning in 18, they came to him, they saw him, these are the elders, the presbyteros of the church in Ephesus, and he says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I was set. The shepherd lives among the sheep. He lives among them. He's with them. This is why you, you really can't be a Christian and just, this is pre-COVID days, and just, and just have a church that you watch on a TV. You need to be with the shepherd, with the sheep. 
No such thing as a Christian who's just as a Christianity by watching TV, apart from COVID, so please understand that. Yeah. But you get the point. We're going to get out of this sometime. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And notice this. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I set healthy food before you. Boys and girls, sometimes mom and dad give you like vegetables or foods you just, you don't like it, but it's good for you. It's healthy. Sometimes the word of God is hard. It's hard to hear. It corrects, it rebukes, it admonishes, but it's good for you. That's what Paul is saying. Teaching you public, house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel. That's the ultimate feast from God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from sin. Turn to the only one who can do anything about it, Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus. So there's a sense in which teaching, public teaching, should cause you to see your sin and turn from it and find Jesus as the only solution to it and increase your faith in Jesus. I want to add this, and you see the next verse in the outline. There's, a, there's something added in the New Testament to the function of the elder, and that is that the elders, the shepherds of the church, are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So to whom does the ministry of the church belong? You. Who equips you to do ministry? The pastors, teachers, and the elders. Ephesians 4.11, God gave the, uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, for what reason? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So your elders are called to find ways to see that you are discovering and then using your gifts for the ministry of the church. The ministry of Wallace belongs to the members of Wallace. The elders of Wallace are called to equip you for that ministry and lead by example. So, Peter is saying what? In all of this, your leaders are to be imitated. Or if you want to be a little bit more precise, I would call it limited imitation because they know they're frail. They know they're not perfect. Imitate them as they imitate Jesus. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see stuff you don't like in me, which is undoubtedly going to be the case. Don't imitate that. To any degree, my life seems to move in concert with the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitate that. Paul would write in first, uh, excuse me, Philippians 4.17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Why do you keep your eye on it? That's the way you do it. My hero as a young boy was Johnny Unitas. He quarterbacked right up the road in Baltimore, and I, I model my quarterbacking after Johnny Unitas, the way he sat on the bench, the way he walked, the way he threw, the way he dropped back. I kept my eyes on Johnny Unitas. I never did become a Johnny Unitas. That's okay. This is why Paul is so diligent to tell a younger pastor, Timothy, as a rule, Elders are older. Praise Buteros. They're older. Not always. I'm older than Jamie. It's clear he's got a calling on his life to pastor, doesn't he? As a rule, we're older. 
Notice how he exhorts Timothy in light of this. 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise you for your youth. In other words, doing stupid things that young people do. <laughs> but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And, and a reference to the ordination uh, by the presbytery there. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Here's the reason. For in so doing, you will in both save yourself and your hearers. So there's a lot at stake in the way elders live, not only for their sake, but for the sake of those that they minister to. Self-watch. So there it is. As the elders look to Jesus to feed, lead, and protect them, so the sheep look to them as they look to Jesus. What's the principle? You can't give away what you don't have. All right. But best of all, elders, you're living by the gospel. You're pointing to Christ. Utterly sufficient for your salvation, Christ risen for you. Christ the example of suffering, triumphing, praying, etc. All right, that's number one. What does he want them to do? Shepherd the flock exercising oversight. Number two, he tells them how using three contrasting motivations. Isn't it interesting that Peter, warning the elders about sinful motives, is acknowledging what basically? How naturally power corrupts. Power corrupts. His premise seems to be this. All of us are tempted by power to pride of place, self-importance, and the idolatrous need for control. So you watch that in your heart. His premise is the worst kind of leadership is arrogant and selfish and proud. The ideal kind is humble and other-centered. He would later write just a few verses down, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Talk about that next week. So what are the temptations that accompany leadership and exercising authority? There's at least three. Number one is verse two, you're to serve not under compulsion but willingly. You ever been to a restaurant where you got the sense this server really doesn't care about us? This server is just going through the motions. We're just another table in, in, in her or his queue. They, they couldn't give a, a, a ding. A, a, they couldn't give any. They couldn't care less <laughs> about you. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want a cheerful server? Paul tells us God loves a cheerful giver. You want elders who serve cheerfully. That's what he says in verse 2, is God would have you. This is a response to God's love for you. This is God's flock, not yours. It's God's flock. 
And you shepherd according to God's will and the pattern of Jesus who willingly laid down his life for the sheep. You know, it's, it's, some churches, it's like men say, I got stuck on the elder board like it's a life sentence or something. Oh my goodness. What a privilege. What a sacred responsibility. Beloved, this is a call to be accepted with joy and gratitude, not a, not a grim duty, but a privilege. And there's a paradox in the heart of a man who sees it that way, and that is, the paradox is this. I am not worthy for this. I'm not sufficient for this. But if this is what God has called me to do, I'm burdened by the need, and I will do it. So there's a sense of holy compulsion. God has made me willing. If it's his will, by his grace, I'll serve. That's why Paul begins that passage on qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 by saying, it's a fine thing you desire to do. It's a fine thing. Frankly, every man in the church should aspire to the office of elder. It's a noble task, he says. It doesn't mean you're called to be one, but your life should adorn those qualities. And so elders should create a winsome atmosphere in the pattern of Jesus who came willingly for no gain for himself. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served. Elders don't exist to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Second motive, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The word shameful here indicates a greed satisfied through fraud. So this is the guy who says, I better get myself on the elder board because it'll bring great visibility to my business. Or these televangelists, I saw an expose on one, I won't name them, who learned that when he cried, he got more money, so every other broadcast, he cried, so he got more money. I don't want to tell you what I think about that. Our pastors who make their living off of full-time pastors worthy of a wage Without a doubt, 1 Timothy 5.17, it's right in your outline. But the true shepherd is not in the office for what he can get, but for where he can serve. Here's the third motive. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The word domineer means to forcibly subdue, to use threats and intimidation. If you read Christian news, you know how many pastors of large churches abuse their staff and are out of their offices because they abuse power. They didn't spend any time in this text. It is specifically warned against. Let Jesus teach us with unmistakable clarity. Matthew 20, 25, Jesus called them to him, his apostles. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They love their power. They exercise their power. They don't care how their power affects people under them. They're on a power trip, intoxicated with authority, which will kill them and the people they serve. He said, no, their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The true shepherd uses his leadership platform as a basis to bless others, not for himself. And finally, why? We've seen what? Shepherd with oversight. Why? Three really awful motives. 
And uh, finally, why? Peter says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, it's interesting, he gives them a motive. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, if you're familiar at all with 1 Peter, you know that there is a distinct, I'm going to use a 50-cent theological word here, a distinct eschatological outlook, an eschatological movement in all of Peter's thinking. Now, eschatology is the biblical study of end times. It's from the Greek word eschatos, which means last. Eschatology is how does everything wrap up when the final curtain falls? The whole tenor of the New Testament is that life is moving towards a climax, the revelation of Jesus Christ. History has a goal. Earth history will end. This earth is going to be destroyed. We're going to get a new earth. We're going to get new bodies. This is something very much on Peter's mind as you read through the epistle. It's basic Christianity. One day, everything is going to become visible. One day, everything's going to be called to account. Therefore, everything you do right now counts forever. Wasn't that the motto in Sproul's Table Talk? Right now counts forever. And there'll be a day of accounting, not least for the leaders of, of the Lord's church. I think James 3 says that. I know Hebrews 13, 17 does. Obey your leaders, submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this willingly with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So God is saying to elders, I'll notice your work. I'm going to reward it. I'm going to give you the crown of glory. Special recognition. Probably drawing on the image in, in Greek times of the, wreath, of the victor's wreath in the Olympic Games. Crowns are also mentioned in Jeremiah and Isaiah. But let's go to the end of history and look at what happens to those crowns. Revelation 4.4. 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. He promised. <laughs> he kept it. Verse 10, they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Could it be that the point of this vision is that the true shepherd is, is not motivated by the result, but the reason. I don't know a lot of guys who would say, I'm in the ministry because I want to get a crown. They're in the ministry for the glory of God. That's what's happening here. <laughs> they take their crowns and they lay them where they, where, where they belong, at the throne of the one who gave them the grace to lead. Isn't it stunning that the very ability to lead any, anything that ever happens of any good among the leaders of Christ's church is by the grace of Jesus, yet he chooses to reward it. What he supplies, he rewards. Stunning. I want to close by directing you to where Peter starts this chapter because it frames how he is to think, your leaders are to think, and you are to think about your entire life. Not only does he identify himself as a fellow elder, pretty humble, right? He could have said, I'm an apostle. Listen, I'm an apostle. No, fellow elder. 
Here's how he frames it. He says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory to be revealed. What do you recognize in there? The sufferings of Christ and the glory of Christ. What does that mean for you? Forgetting for a second about how, how humble it must be of Peter to have written, I'm a partaker of the sufferings of Christ, because if you know his story, he witnessed the sufferings of Christ as a coward who denied his Lord. Different subject for a different day. I want to come back to the point. There is a glory revealed in Christ's sufferings that absolutely changes you forever. He witnessed Christ giving himself up as a servant, laying his life down for his enemies, loving where he was hated, forgiving where he was spit upon, giving us what we could never earn or deserve ourselves, life, salvation, cleansing, hope, forgiveness, reconciliation with God. That is yours as you witness the sufferings of Christ proclaimed to you through his cross today. It's all yours. It's the glory of being forgiven and accepted in the gospel. That's the first part. All right, have you witnessed the sufferings of Christ? Have you made them yours? Have you said, Jesus, take my sin, forgive me, make me new? Here's the other part. He says, I am a partaker in the glory to be revealed. Well, Jesus is the glory to be revealed. When Jesus is revealed, what will happen? Everyone that belongs to Jesus will appear as absolutely glorious as Jesus is. You will get a resurrected, indestructible body fit for nothing less than the presence of God. Peter says, I'm partaking of that now. Doesn't look like what it's going to look like kind of the already but not yet he's already partaking of that glory elders are you are you partaking with confidence hope humility zeal love because of what you will be one day already manifested somehow, mysteriously, our partaker, that'll change the way we care for the flock. Let's pray. God of glory, revealing the glory of a forgiving, self-sacrificing, merciful, cleansing God in the hideous cross of Jesus, thank you that in this word we see Christ crucified for helpless sinners, salvation. And there's a day coming. We'll be fully partaking of that glory with Jesus forever, like Jesus in resurrected, sinless, indestructible bodies. You bid us to import that future into the present. May we partake of it. May we feast upon it. May it change us. May it humble us. Fill us with service, self-sacrifice, humility, love, zeal for the glory of the chief shepherd whose appearing we wait. Amen.